Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here with us today. Season two is afoot and we are starting another journey into human nature. This time we're looking at the role passages play in the lives of my guests, the initiations, the transformations, the accidental, the intentful. Hold tight and listen in because we are about to journey into another incredible and beautiful series of conversations. Let's get into it. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to episode 17. I'm your host, Jeff Z. Grateful to have you here for this show today. This is a special show for a lot of reasons, as you'll see. Very personal, very moving. My guest is Tara Coyote, and I wanted to give you a heads up about the show and also say thank you to Tara for, for coming on the show. It's really amazing to have our conversation, Tara. Thank you. But there are some sound issues a little bit for the first couple minutes. There's a beautiful little rainstorm that kind of tweaks the mic sounds a little bit. And then you'll hear some cats and some roosters and some other, you know, uh, tropical island uh, wildlife happening in the background. Nonetheless, the show is amazing. It takes about two minutes for her audio to settle in after the rainstorm. Hang in there. This show is worth it. Thanks for being on board. Enjoy. Tara Coyote, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm really glad to have you with us today on the show. Thank you so much. It's an incredible honor to be here. It is an honor to have you here. And I'm really honored for you to, to bring your story as we focus on passages and the passages we all go through in our lives you have recounted a really huge passage in your life that's been going on for about six years and you just published your story in a book called grace grit and gratitude and i took the week and i devoured it i was really moved and touched and and heart opened and sometimes sad and, and feeling the, the pains of life but I, I want to celebrate that with you today a little bit and just share with us a little bit what it's been like to write a book and to put your story out in such a big way. Yes. So I just published a book, like you said, Grace, Grit, and Gratitude in August of 2021. I started writing when my best friend, Deb Hubsmith, who lived in Marin, actually died from leukemia. I was so stricken with deep grief because she was my best friend of 19 years. And then a year after Deb died, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, which was just a total shock because my friends call me the healthiest person they know. And so I decided to do a natural route of healing cancer for about two and a half years. I did really, really well. And just to go back to the writing piece, I continued to write. I shared my journey publicly through videos, through my blog, Facebook page. I created called Cancer Warriors through Instagram. And it was very cathartic for me to write and share my experience. It helped disperse the intensity around it. And as I shared, I found that other cancer drivers and journeyers were drawn to me. So I just started creating a very strong community around cancer. Time went on. Um, I ran an equine facilitated learning facility 
in Northern California, Nevada City Colton Horse Sanctuary, where I did equine coaching with people, workshops, grief rituals with horses and private sessions. It was very powerful. And I was still going through cancer. I was just doing all natural. I had a lot of trauma around my best friend's death because she went the traditional route. So I ended up spending months and months and months with her at the hospital. So due to the trauma around her death, I had chosen a natural route of treatment. And then a very hard circumstance happened about three years ago where a neighbor turned me into the planning department. And it's a long story I won't go into. It's in my book. You can read it if you like. And I had to sell my ranch and it was devastating because I worked so hard to create my business. I had to give up two horses and it was very stressful for about nine months. During that time, the cancer spread to be throughout my body. It went into my lungs, my liver, my spine, my hip, and my adrenal glands. And I was starting to suffer from the effects of cancer. It was starting to profoundly affect my health. And I decided to move back home during this time to Kauai, Hawaii, where my father is from, where I had lived several times in my life. We have an off-the-grid yurt, very beautiful on family property that my dad's from Hawaii, so it's been in our family for over 100 years. It's a very special place. When I moved back home in the winter of 2019, I was not doing well. I had so much cancer in my lungs. I could not talk. I could not hold a conversation. I was coughing all the time. I had to sleep sitting up for two months because I would gag in my sleep. I was walking with a cane because my left hip was breaking and Basically, I was told, Tara, you're going to die. And I knew I was going to die. I was referred to hospice. I saw my life force waning away. And I was uh, given the choice of, okay, well, you can try chemotherapy or not, basically. So I had to face my fear of doing chemotherapy. And I had to really look into my strength and my fear and decided what I decide what I wanted. And my son was 26 at the time, and I decided I really want to be here for my son. I had so many friends who had died young, like me, because they were adhering to a natural path of healing cancer. And so I ended up doing nine months of chemotherapy. Um, and that time I broke my left hip and I had to have double hip surgery, had to learn to walk again. It was a uh, very traumatic. And um, basically, I came out of the experience in February of 2020 with amazing results. All the cancers shrunk in my body. My blood tests were clear. Ever since then, my blood tests have been clear. The cancer continues to shrink. The tumors continue to shrink. And it's just a miracle I'm alive. So just come back around to your question <laughs> about the book. In March of 2020, I was planning to do a documentary featuring cancer thrivers who were defeating the odds with stage four cancer. And then COVID hit, which meant nobody could travel. And I live on a tiny island in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the Pacific. So I decided to put all this energy I had after having such great scans and finishing treatment into a book. So I basically, basically, excuse me, took six years of my writing and spent about 15 months working on it every single day to put it into my memoir. 
it was a lot of hard work. Um, if I had known how much work it would have taken, I don't know if I would have done it, but I'm so grateful I did. It was such a rewarding and healing experience to write the book. Um, I had to go through a lot of the trauma around Deb's death and my own treatment, but it's been very profound to share my story and just a wonderful experience on so many levels. Yeah, it is. It is really profound in, in so many ways. You know, I found myself intrigued by so much. I was, I was taking all sorts of notes knowing that we were going to have a conversation, but I wanted to, to start today by having you share the story of Inanna because I found that old um, myth was, was very evocative and helpful to give dimension you know, that kind of that inner dimension that's hard to see or hard to say, but somehow that story seemed to um, strike the heart of what going through stage four cancer can be like. And so I was wondering if we could start by you sharing the story of Inanna. Sure. I'm very happy to. Yes. So the story of Inanna, it's basically the oldest creation story we have. It's came from Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago. It's basically the story of Queen Anana who travels down into the underworld. Um, there's lots of versions of it. It's, it's written out on these very old stone tablets. So there's a few different versions, but the version I told in my story is that she has to go down into the underworld. She's basically going down to challenge her sister who lives down there. And as she goes down to the underworld, she passes through seven gates. And so when she's starting on this journey, she has all her beautiful regalia, a breastplate, a crown, her jewelry, you know, ornated like a goddess queen. And as she goes down to, through each gate, she has to give up something she loves. So the first gate, she gives up her breastplate, second gate, her jewelry, whatever it may be. And so this story is very metaphorical for somebody on a cancer journey, because for those of us on a cancer journey, there is so much sacrifice. You know, many of us, if we go through cancer treatment, we lose our hair, which I did, which was very hard for me. I had really long hair in the middle of my back. And so I was bald for a while. Um, we often have to give up our jobs and what makes us feel stable in the world. Many of us go through surgery, lose our breasts, you know, and it can be, you know, other cancers. There's other surgeries, obviously. So you're losing other body parts, but it's basically very metaphorical for having to give up what you are comfortable with in order to be born again. So Anana travels down through these seven gates. By the time she arrives down at the bottom, she's stripped naked. There's nothing left to her, basically. And her sister ends up killing her and hanging her on a hook. So it's very brutal. Yeah, that particular part of the story is very brutal. And I think that if I remember correctly in your book, it's something about her body turning into green meat or something, just kind of rotting. Yes. Pretty rough. It's, it's pretty, pretty gross. <laughs> pretty raw biology there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But she's but, not stuck there, right? Because she, she sets something up to help her out. Should she get in trouble or something? She let spirit beings know what was going on. And so 
they knew she was down there. So there's different versions of who came to help, but basically she was helped out of the underworld and she rose back up again. And as she came up through the seven gates, she regained everything she gave up. So it's a very brilliant metaphorical story to death and rebirth, which is so applicable for a cancer journey because it is like death and rebirth. And the reason why I wanted to put this in my story is because there's so much struggle when someone's diagnosed with cancer or a serious health diagnosis. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be cancer. Or if we go through challenges, the story is so metaphorical to any sort of challenge where you have to die in order to be reborn. And so the more we can release into the struggle and just let go, the more we can just celebrate whatever new path or life we are embracing. So it's, it's a lot like the Phoenix rising from the flame. So a, a dear friend mentioned this to me when I was starting to do my documentary slash book. And I just grabbed onto that story and thought it was just so perfect. Is there a particular part of Inanna's story that you relate with most, particularly in the de descent? Because I think, you know, part of what you lay out in your book, and I think part of what would be great to hear uh, for people listening to the show is, who were you before the descent into the underworld? Right. Like a little bit, what was your life like? What was going on for you? And then what were these stages of things that kind of brought you down to that very raw place that you eventually arrived at? That's a wonderful question. I, I love that question. I put a lot of thought into that actually. So before I was diagnosed, I very much identified with being a very strong physical woman. I ran a Pilates studio in Marin County, a gyrotonic studio, and I was like the superstar athlete. I have a family that's amazing with athletics. We all just excel at athletics. So I very much identified with that. I very much identified with my hair, identified with my physical presence and being very independent. So when I knew I was dying and decided to do chemotherapy and my body was breaking down, I had to go down into that deep, 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 dark shadow land. Like it was very hard, especially the first few months of doing chemotherapy. When I lost my hair, I had to face my shadows, unresolved emotions, toxic relationships. I was in a lot of pain. I lost 20 pounds. I went to the hospital. I almost died. You know? Yeah. I mean, you have passages. In yeah. It's really intense. And you have these really powerful passages where you talk about and sometimes write poetry and sometimes they're blogs from when you were going through it around just bone crushing pain, just feeling yes. your bones actually, you know, dissolving under the burden of cancer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly how it felt. It was yeah. And there was some really beautiful parts to that where you began to develop a different relationship with your pain and it kind of gets into who you were in your aspirations and in your fitness and how you thought health should go and, and how you wanted to choose and approach your cancer care. Right. But as time went on, you began to shift from that and partly because of the pain and partly because of, as I understood it, the threat of death, just getting ever increasingly real. Um, 
but you, along the way, there's some really beautiful empowerments. I, I saw you describe that you, there were certain ways you had to deal with the intensity of your pain. Yes. Yes. I, I had to basically learn to surrender to the pain and surrender to the mind gremlins that would creep in. Chemo is a very powerful medicine, but there's a lot of darkness to it too. So I had to really filter through all these um, dark thoughts as it were. It was such a profound surrender because when I was feeling that bone crushing pain and the dark thoughts, I had to just breathe into it and just trust that it would pass. And the more I surrendered to it, the quicker it would pass. And, you know, I had a dear friend, his name's Eugene. It's an amazing man, 25 year cancer driver who had been through hell and back. And so I would text him and he would just remind me, just keep going. This is okay. Just relax. And so it was community that really helped me, but just a circle around to the beginning part of the question, I had to sacrifice my athletic body, this identity around that. Um, when my hip broke, I mean, I was stuck in bed for a month. I had to learn to walk again. Basically I've never been the same athletic wise, you know, it's like, it's really changed my life in that way, but it's okay. Cause I'm still alive and functional. So there's still sacrifices, you know, if I see somebody on the beach with a beautiful body who's very able, I'm like, I used to be like that and now I'm not, but that's okay. So it's these uh, processes and cycles of life we all go through as we age. So it's very relatable to everybody, I think. And I want to touch in the chemo part because you brought it up a second ago and chemo was something you previously thought that you would never do. And not only you thought it was something you would never do, it was also something that you had serious questions about the value of in terms of quality of life. And it just went across the, the nature of your being. And also, I think as I heard it, there was a little bit of you saw what your very good friends went through just previous to your own cancer diagnosis. And so then you took that stuff, <laughs> you know, you took those medicines. And one of the things that was so um, sh shocking for me in the story was the way you engaged the medicine and you took that venom as an elixir, but you not only did that, you, you kind of, when they didn't kind of, you, you, took it as a substance and watched what it did to your body as if it was a medicine and watched the way toxins work through your body. And then your relationship with toxic stuff changed as well. I want you to talk about that way in which you approach the chemotherapy and the way you did it as a psychological initiation, as it were. Mm-hmm. That's a very profound question. Yes. Well, before I did chemo, I was blogging and doing interviews and sharing on social media how chemotherapy is a poison which kills people. And I, you know, was on conferences sharing this. So when I had to face my fear of it, I had to basically eat my words and get super humble and say to the public eye, because there was, you know, thousands of people following be like, okay, guys, I am doing the thing I advocated not to do. And I had to work so hard 
to shift my thinking around because I thought of it as poison. I was terrified to even go into the hospital because of what I had gone through with my friends. There was a lot of trauma to work through. Um, I basically did the work of Byron Katie. I worked with a dear friend of mine named Bethany Webb, who does the work, who's also a cancer thriver to switch my, th- my thoughts around, to turn my thoughts around, did a lot, a lot of work. To How think- does the work with Byron Katie change thoughts around for people who don't know? That's a great question. So basically you ask five questions of the thought through the process of questioning your thoughts. You eventually turn it around. You create more of a sense of spaciousness in your thoughts where your mind realizes maybe this isn't true. Chemotherapy will kill me. And so I would have to question that, you know, maybe it can actually heal me. So I went through that process through her five questions, which I Definitely recommend to everybody if you're feeling stuck around a particular issue, any issue for that matter. And I turned it around to chemotherapy is a healing elixir. It will heal me. And so I was sitting there in the infusion center with chemotherapy being dripped into my veins through my port and just like, this is healing me. This is healing me. So I had to really imagine that, which I believe the thought process of seeing that actually made a difference because I came to a place of realizing if I'm scared of this drug, if I think it's going to kill me, it probably will kill me. And I'll be taking that fear into my body with the medicine. So I really had to come to peace with it. Yeah. You not only came to peace with it, but you actually dressed up for it. (laughs) Yes, I did. Can you describe that? Yeah, I have a chapter in my book where I talk about I dress like a goddess when I went to get my infusions. Because if you go into an infusion center, cancer center, it's a bit dreary. I, I was very fortunate to do it in Kauai, Hawaii, which is there's a lot of aloha spirit. I was grateful to be able to do treatment there, but it's an intense place. You know, people are going through a hard time. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to show up and I'm going to you know, put a turban on my head because I was bald at the time and put on nice jewelry and and just feel really good about myself while I'm there. And that process of dressing like a goddess really helped transform the experience. And my other purpose for doing that is like, I'm going to look good for other people too. So, so they can see that reflected in them, if that makes sense. No, I love it. The trickster of making chemotherapy cosplay. That's like (laughs) so good. That was one of my favorite like lifts in the story of like, Oh, what a great way to approach it. And, and the whole journey with chemo. I mean, I think people should really spend the time listening to your story in depth and reading your book. And so I don't want to get into, you know, every nuance about the chemo, but it turned out the chemo did work. And, and, and and your oncologist was, cause you weren't, you were like, you almost lost it a couple of times. We almost lost you. The world almost lost your, your, your time here in this world. And so, but the chemo did work and I kept, couldn't help but thinking like, Oh, okay. So the alternative spirit of her previous self accepted the medicine she didn't want to take, but brought an alternative approach to it. And it sounded like he was, or she was, I can't remember, was somewhat surprised how well you actually responded to the chemotherapy. Yes. Yes. I had 
two oncologists during that time. One was a woman, one was a man. And they were all just like, wow, you're having such great results. Every scan, every blood test, the tumor counts were dramatically shrinking. And um, yeah, it was definitely a miracle circumstance. I also did want to add, and I share about this a lot in my story and on my blog, that I was still keeping up with the natural therapies, non-toxic therapies like vitamin infusions and vitamins and lots of other great things to keep my body healthy. So I think that was really important to keep my immune system strong because what chemotherapy does, it slams your immune system to kill the cancer, but at the same time, it annihilates the healthy cells. So I tried to do everything I could just to keep my body physically healthy. You're a great um, interviewer, by the way. This thank is you. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. You know, for, I think for you, it started in late 2016, your breast cancer diagnosis. And then yes. here you are in 2020, four years later, going through so very much pain and, and finding all sorts of new levels of willingness and vulnerability and, and clarity and power. And, and, and then you, you get that final scan and you get those final, that final blood work, I guess, final for then, but that was at the point that the book, you know, comes to its transition point. Um, and what happened? What happened? Oh, I was so fortunate and grateful and happy to be alive. You know, it's like I could slowly get my life back again and say, okay, who am I now? I just went on this tremendous Anana journey down to the underworld. You know, I broke my hip, I lost my hair. During that time of treatment, my partner and I have four years split up. I just wanted to add part of the Nana story is letting go of relationships and toxic circumstances that don't ultimately serve you. That was a big part of my healing too, is really creating good boundaries for myself with mm -hmm. all my relationships. So, mm -hmm. so there was a lot of sacrifice along the way. So when I finished treatment in February of 2020, I was like, okay, here I am. What do I do now? And, um, it was very exciting. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to put all this energy into my book and hopefully create something that'll help inspire other cancer thrivers to have hope, know that they too can get through a difficult circumstance. Yeah. And so you've actually gotten through it. So, so far in the past year, you're still, I guess, in remission or cancer free or is that correct? I still have cancer in my body. Um, but my theory all along is not fighting cancer. You know, there's such a prevalent attitude in our very war-driven culture of like fight, 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 fight. I never thought that. It's always like, okay, I'm going to come to peace with my cancer. And when the cancer was taking over my body, it was like, okay, I have to kick it back. But I'm aware that there's still cancer in my body, but it's shrinking with every scan, every blood test, every blood test is clear. I have the blood of a healthy, normal person and every scan, the tumors continue to shrink. My bones are growing back. Um, it's very, very incredible. I get uh, monthly shots once a month that knock me out for a few days and I continue on with my natural healing routine, but yeah, I'm, considered in remission. And I honestly don't 
give it a lot of thought. It's very hard when you're walking with a serious cancer diagnosis to not let it overwhelm you because, you know, there's a reality where I know my prognosis is not that great. I could be dead in a year or two, but I don't feed that way of thinking. I don't feed the fear. I, my way of thinking is I'm alive. I'm healthy. I'm doing great. And let's live for today. So I feel like that's a big part of staying healthy is keeping that healing trajectory going rather than feeding the gloom and doom of the reality of like, Oh my God, I might not have much time left. If yeah. that makes sense. No, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And it ties into this thing you write about. And the thing we talked about a little bit before the show around the importance of the balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And I think also you write somewhere about not having a cancer story mindset. Can you expand on those a little bit to kind of include the listeners and in, in where you're coming from with that? I would love to. So when I was first diagnosed with cancer five years ago, Martin Tickle, DJ Dragonfly, who's from the Marin area, you might know him. He told me, I reached out to him, but the best advice I got was from him. He said, Tara, don't make this your story, which it's so easy if we're going through any health circumstance, whether it's Lyme or arthritis, to make it our story, to make it about us. So if I made it my story, it would be about, oh my gosh, I have stage four cancer and I would live my life like that. And it would keep me from really expansively enjoying my life. So my goal when he told me that was like, okay, this is what I'm going through, but it is not my story. It is a part of me, but it's not who I am, you know? And so every single day I strive to live that way. Sometimes it's a little more challenging than others. And yes, about the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. This is something I really dove into deeply when I moved back home to Hawaii, which was two and a half years ago. The body needs to be in a parasympathetic state to heal. And what that means is basically in a state of rest and relaxation. The sympathetic state is about fight, flight, or freeze, which is something our culture teaches us to do, to be in a constant state of fear. And I also just want to put in here, because I love saying this, fear is false evidence appearing real. So when we're gripped with a state of fear, our body goes into survival mode and um, it's very hard for the body to heal when we're in this place of just being locked up in fear. Whereas in the parasympathetic state, our bodies relax and it allows the healing that naturally wants to occur in the body to take place. So this is going back to what we talked about chemotherapy, taking the poison in for healing. Yeah. My whole viewpoint when I was going through that tremendously hard situation was I thought of it like a homeopathic medicine. So this is the medicine, the poison as it were, that will heal me. And I was so knocked out during the process that I feel like it helped me turn on my parasympathetic healing system. If that makes sense, it sounds kind of weird. It's a powerful process of healing. And I feel like I strive to continue to do that. Um, just some of my own personal story, what's happening now is my mom's health is not that great. I was just spent almost three weeks in California. It was very stressful and I could feel myself 
when I was there getting to be an intense place of stress. And mm-hmm. I just recently got back home and I feel my body starting to relax, but it was a bit of a red flag of Tara. You need to take care of yourself. If you continue to be in this place of stress, your health is going to go downhill. So it's a daily process for me. It's not like I'm in remission and all is good. It's conscious habit every day of what can I choose to keep me in this healthy place? Who am I going to be around? You know, how am I going to have my relationships? What am I going to do today? Yeah, no, it's a high level of accountability and it gets into, I think a little bit of, you write about this is, you know, the power of mind to create you know, sympathetic or parasympathetic conditions. And I saw in, in certain passages in your book, certain adversities would come out. I mean, it's not like life stopped because you had a stage three, stage four cancer diagnosis. It just continued, but it was really clear as you wrote, there were certain episodes that were challenging you and setting you back. And if you didn't really take account to them, it would have been probably more problematic. And, and the beauty was watching those those revelations and watching the, and I, I think you said this at some point that you think you actually wrote before Deb was diagnosed, you saw yourself as an innocent woman who had no idea how precious life was. And then, you know, you write these things or cancer is my guru or cancer is my teacher, or it's not my enemy, or I'm not going to get into this fight or flight survival consciousness around it. And yet and find this other relationship that started to bear all these different kinds of fruits, you know, and I would love to hear you talk about the blessings of, you know, the graces and the gratitudes out of this hardship. That's a profound question. So give me a moment to sink into that. Okay. Thank you. So my theory when going through a difficult circumstance, and I've had so many of them, since Deb was diagnosed was that every challenging circumstance is here to grow me. And anytime a hard circumstance happened, you can read about in my book. I was like, okay, I can either sink or swim. So I can take the circumstance of say the hardest part of my journey was by far when I broke my hip, I was in bed. My partner and I have four years broke up two weeks after I broke my hip. My cousin was taking care of me. I was reliant on everybody for everything, which was so hard as an independent, stubborn woman. And it was almost humorous, all the crazy stuff that was happening. I had to move out of my yurt because there was a mold infestation. I mean, this is all at the same time. I was still doing chemo. And I thought, this is almost hilariously funny. This is so horrible. And so I had to really tap into, okay, so what is the gift? What is the gift? And a dear friend named Richard remind me of the work of Joe Dispenza and his amazing healing story. And I had to really rise up to the occasion to be like, okay, I am, I am bigger than this. Yes, this is horrible. Yes, I am in so much pain because I just had a double hip surgery but there is a gift here. And again, it was pretty much at the lowest part of the Anana journey there where, you know, I was pretty much naked in bed, you know, bones broken, literally. So it was a profound opportunity to drop into the grace and gratitude and certainly lots of grit in the circumstance where I had to just really hone my strength and find this deep, 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 deep well of courage and strength 
to know I could get through it. Like I could rise above. Yes. My partner and I had just split up, you know, all of this had happened, but I could get through it. And then I did. So there's something very powerful about being so knocked down to the ground where you have to get up again, where you know that things that bothered you before really didn't matter. And I, you mentioned this too, like I had this life, the start of my book is where I'm living in Marin with my Pilates studio, which looked like a perfect life with my beautiful musician husband and my son and my stepkids. And I think back to that time, like, man, I so didn't appreciate what I had. I was complaining about little things. So I'm so grateful for this experience because it's really made me drop into the sense of how incredible life is and what a gift it is. And, you know, even if I only live a few more years, I'm so happy now compared to how I was say 10 years ago. Hope that answers your question. No, it does. It really does. It's it's rather amazing. And and so when you were at that lowest point in the underworld, what was the main teaching or teachings you felt that turned the corner? Was it just what you said, the the competency of, you know, even in the most dire, hardest knockdown situations, I can do this? Because I I had this time when I was times where I was reading your work and I thought, you know, part of this is spiritual development, but part of this is ego development too. And I mean that in the best way of like, you know, my life is precious. You know, your life is precious. It matters. My boundaries matter. Toxic situations matter. My no's, my yeses, my energy, my, my care, my giving, my being a leader, you know, on the Facebook group on cancer and how much energy I give or don't give. And so I was, I was just loving all the ways in which you were developing. And I was also finding myself deeply curious around, you know, the, the, at the bottom of the underworld, like what, what was it that helped you begin to turn? Yeah. I believe to answer that, it would be the power of the mind. Cause when I was in bed, I couldn't walk. Like I said, my dear friend Richard reminded me of Joe Dispenza and the power of the mind to heal. If you don't know his story, it's basically he had broken his spine in many places. He was told he'd never walk again and he stayed in bed for a period of time, many, many months, and he basically healed his spine. He was a miracle case. And so I remember that story and I thought, okay, well, I can have a miracle story too. Like, why should I limit myself to a small way of being, so to speak? So it was really tapping into the infinite potential of healing, which all of us humans have, you know, we are infinite beings. We only use 10% of our brain. And so it was really tapping into talking to my cells reminding him the healing potential, you know, finding beauty while I was stuck in bed <laughs> instead of being very depressed and upset. I mean, there was definitely hard moments too, because I'm human, but it was really understanding that I had the ability to heal myself, that I could heal also from a very hard cancer diagnosis that had, you know, relegated me to death almost several times. So, and I still hold that viewpoint. 
I see myself as healing. I see myself as healed. I don't see myself as or as a stage four cancer diagnosis. I live with it every day, but I don't identify with it. I don't identify with that story as we talked about before. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for going back and just renaming that. I want to talk about horses and I want to talk about, cause I, you brought up parasympathetic nervous system and, and the power of the mind and horses and your work with horses has been such an incredible part of your personal story and your healing, but also just them as beings and teachers for, you know, people going through and learning about their own hardships and their own adversities and how they have something to offer us. Yes. Horses are incredibly healing creatures. Um, as I talk about in my book, I was in a very hard space due to a traumatic situation that happened with my husband. And that is when I started working with horses in a therapeutic manner. And it changed my life so much that I decided to sell my Pilates studio and get my first horse Comanche and eventually sold my house and bought a ranch in Nevada city. And I, learn the work of Linda Kohonoff, who's the best-selling author of the Tao of Equus. She created the Pona Quest Institute and just changed my life because I was so inspired by how healing they are and was inspired to help other people. And so people always say, well, how come they are so healing? And it's a bit of a hard thing to explain, but I'll try my best. Um, there is something about the infinite healing power of the heart. If you know about the heart math Institute, it talks about how our hearts actually more powerful than our brain, but in our Western culture, we're taught to work from our brain. It's all about what we think, what we do and such, but the heart has a very strong energetic capacity to it. And so horses have these huge hearts and they're Mm. very heart-based and instinctual gut-based Whereas us humans, we're so in our minds. So there's a very calming effect when somebody is around a horse. And I would see it time after time when I do my work at my retreat center, where people would just drop into their bodies and stop ignoring whatever sensations they might be ignoring in their bodies, like say a sore shoulder, whatever it may be and tune into a deeper level of awareness and healing and um, repressed emotions like anger or frustration or grief would come up from being around the horses. I did grief rituals with horses for many years, and that was very powerful to help people through the grief process because, again, our culture does not support the release of grief, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. What is a horse grief ritual for us who've never done a horse grief ritual? What happens there? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I did basically after my best friend died, I realized there was no place for grief in our culture. And I was uh, so torn apart after she died. And there was this Mm -hmm. attitude of like, it's been a few months. Aren't you better now? Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, I need to do something about this. I need to create a platform of healing for people. So I took the work of Linda Kohanoff, the opponent quest work that I had learned. And I combined it with grief work, grief rituals that I had learned from other people. There's a Francis book. Weller. Like, yeah, I saw that in your book and the, the dagger of people out of uh, Burkina Faso. Yeah, sure. Yes. The wild edge of sorrow. I love that book. He's an amazing man. Um, and so I combined the horse work with 
grief ritual work. And so I created a day long event from 10 to five or so where we would do these exercises designed to help drop people into their bodies and tap into whatever grief they might be suppressing. A lot of times people would come because they were feeling grief about the passing of a beloved, their friend, their husband, a child. And then they would discover all these other repressed griefs from childhood, you know, environmental grief. We're, we're all walking around with so much grief these days. And it was just such an incredible process of releasing all of these emotions that were stuck in the body through being around the horses. And as I was saying before, the horses kind of pulled it out of people, whatever emotions might be experiencing. So my day long event was basically a bunch of different exercise designed to create a safe space of healing for people with horses. Sounds like those were amazing days. Yes, it was powerful. It was very healing for me too, just because there is a sense when you're going through a loss, you feel very alone and isolated and, mm -hmm. you know, you can't relate to people in the same way anymore. My, my mother is not doing well health wise and I'm feeling this huge grief within me and this mm -hmm. is getting vulnerable with you, but you know, there's a part of me that wants to isolate and feels separate from people. But mm -hmm. the reality is we're all going through grief on so many different levels. And so the more we can connect in community with others, the more we can know we aren't alone. Since we're here, I'm really curious around, you know, it's kind of a two-sidedness of life. You know, we're talking about the power of mind and choosing to be happy and choosing to have really clear relationships and, and choosing to be healthy and choosing to find like a uh, swim in the face of adversity. And yet there's, you know, just these tides of loss and grief, you know, not everybody is a miracle story. Not everybody makes it, not every things are break, you know, parts of us break. And how do you reconcile that? And how do you see the role of grief, you know, from your vantage point, from everything you've gone through in relationship to that? I feel like grief can be a portal. So cute. <laughs> Just a little cat. Is, like, He's like, is he a kitten? Is he a kitten? I have two little kittens. They're yeah. sisters. Aww. Yeah. She's a little over three months old. So sorry. Yeah, she wanted to say hi. Hi. Meow. Hello. <laughs> I couldn't resist her. She jumped on my shoulder. Totally. <laughs> okay. Let me start over. <sighs> I feel like grief is a portal to another layer of transformation. Mm -hmm. Linda Kohanov, this is some of the PonoQuest work that I teach. Every emotion has a meaning behind it. And so the meaning behind grief is there's been a loss or a death that wasn't your choice. It's something that's out of control, whereas sadness is very similar to grief. But with sadness, there is a choice. You are choosing to leave a job or a relationship or move with grief, you have no choice. Your home is destroyed by a fire. Your partner leaves you, you know, cancer hits, whatever it may be. So the transformation of grief is to really drop into that. And again, like I spoke before, to surrender into it and just accept it and embrace the sensations and the emotions and allow yourself to release it 
you know, through being in community, through being doing a grief ritual, through commemorating your beloved, through creating an altar, to really be present with it and acknowledge it rather than push it away. And this was, again, my big lesson with chemo was to allow the shadows to come in, to really look at it. You know, it's like if you're having a recurring nightmare where a monster keeps chasing you and keeps chasing you, you're running away. But then one night when you're dreaming, you decide to face the monster and say, what do you want? And the monster says, I want to hug you. You know, <laughs> there's something very powerful in facing yes, these dark emotions. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's so many parables that come with that. I think about a great uh, passage of William Blake where some religious figure is telling him to be afraid of this moon and this hillside and this river and there's spiders everywhere. But as soon as the fear of the religious figure goes away, he just finds this beautiful moonlit hillside in a state of equanimity. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's just important to say out loud that, you know, I, oftentimes it's easy, I think, for myself to get confused when people talk about the power of mind or getting into parasympathetic states that we somehow become implacable to grief. And I, I really love what you're saying about letting ourselves be touched by grief, particularly when something befalls us as intense as cancer or any kind of unwanted adversity. To me, I've been working with stress for a while and different ideas, but you know, the miracle of the miracle of being human and stressful is that we can grow out of all sorts of things we didn't think possible. And so letting and, and accepting that grief touches us, I think is such a powerful honoring of life's real twists and turns, you know, that it is real. And, and, and it reminds me of someone who I've been studying and I believe is going to be on the podcast in, in, the, sh in the short future, but um, who talks a lot about the role of pain and pleasure and the role of addiction and, and, and the way pleasure and pleasure circuits and dopamine become problematic in the addictive patterns and how essential pain is, particularly to people in addiction. On, on my episode two, I remember Luis Rodriguez talking about how he deals with his life is he has to stay present to pain, you know? And so as I've been thinking about that and I heard about all the, or I read all the passage of you where you were dealing with just incredible pains of all sorts. I kept thinking about the power of pain and, and grief being a kind of pain. And so I just want to, you know, highlight that, appreciate that, acknowledge that out loud of um, that importance of, you know, uh, Michael Mead says it this way. He says, you know, before you begin a passage, you own it, but once you start it, it owns you, <laughs> you know, and that, that humility that, you know, Inanna or me or yourself or anybody needs to find in relationship to life's a full contact sport. I mean, that's my experience. It can hit you anywhere, anytime. And, and there's so many wonderful, just for the listeners out there to really just jump in joyfully with Tara here on her celebration and appreciation, because it really comes out clearly in your book. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm very honored by that share. There's a great quote and I'm not going to get it right. I'll just try to explain it, but we're most 
alive on the threshold of grief. It's like mm. we really tune in to what life means and what love means and to feel grief about somebody who has died or something you've lost is just an expression of how much you love. So it's almost like when we're so in that depth of experience in the depths of Anana's realm, we're most alive, not easy <laughs> by any means, but yeah. it really wakes you up. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a sobriety in that. And there's a sobriety in pain that I think is true. And, um, yeah, honor your courage and, and, and doing that. I was at times I was reading this. I'm like, you know, I don't know what I could do if I was, you know, if I was in your shoes, I just don't know. And I was, I was moved, um, uh, by, by the continual courage and facing up to, you know, the specter of death and all the ways that it showed up for you at such a young age. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you for being you. And I, I just have to say this. I, I think you might've miswrote one line a little bit and I'm sorry to be this way, but you said that you didn't realize that life was precious. And I, I kind of feel like part of your growth and the beauty of, of, of what you learned through all this was that, that you actually meant to say, if I can be so bold, is that you realize that your life is precious. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is generally, but it's a very specific kind of fucking condition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Life. It's, it's so personal, you know? Very true. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. That's You're welcome. Yes. My life is precious. I will own that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I know. I was sitting with that from my, in my own experience and just kind of my own head conversations, heart conversations and, and how I think about myself and my value and, and, you know, what I'm creating and what I'm doing and how I'm making my way through, you know, my life. And even though, you know, I'm not in any kind of immediate, you know, health threat right now. So, so just I love, I love that kind of gift of, of riding parallel and going, okay, this is, this is, this is what it's like to be in that deep conversation and the teaching. So. I think I've said how much I appreciate all that. So I'll just say it one last time. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your book. appreciate your story. Thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. I, you know, I poured my heart and soul into the book and it was such a vulnerable process to share everything. There are stories in there that only my closest friends knew. So to hear that somebody has enjoyed my book, it's such an incredible honor of like, wow, you read my story and you liked it and you got something out of it. So, <laughs> so I really appreciate the feedback. So for people who want to build relationships with horses or um, for just people who are undergoing, they're in relationship with someone who's in cancer or or they're going under a cancer journey themselves, um, you know, what resources do you have to offer the listeners today? I have a lot of resources. Um, I have a website the cancer side of the work I do cancer and that's my page I've been blogging on for five years I've links to my videos I have a YouTube page Tara Coyote on YouTube but on my cancer warriors page I've created like long book lists and film lists and supplement Great. lists everything's there so that's cancer cancerwarriors.com yes yes Great. and for the horse work there's Wind Horse Sanctuary you can go to. It talks about the horse work. I don't 
offer the same workshop opportunities that I used to in Northern California because I live in a much smaller area now in Kauai, but I do do private sessions with people. Um, I might do workshops in the future. We'll see everything's been upside down with COVID and such, but um, there's information there. I have several Facebook pages, Tara's Healing Journey on Facebook and Windhorse Sanctuary on Facebook, Instagram pages. So yeah, I'm pretty much all over social media. So <laughs> yes, you, you are. Can find me. <laughs> find you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. All music is performed by the incredible and effervescent Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. Please support this podcast by following us on your favorite streaming platform, sharing it with your community and friends, and by making a modest donation to our Patreon page. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people make peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us. 